with us. Praise God. Good to see you, friend. I know you've been busy. It's good to see you. Um, beautiful things. And so, what I want to do at the outset is I want to challenge you to get your eyes up, you know? I want to challenge you to get your eyes up off the world. It's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Some of you are buying into it because I'm hearing from you. So we're going to talk a little bit more about heaven this week because I'm getting so much feedback from you about the last two sermons with respect to we get to live forever and then last week we get to lay up treasure. So I, I want you to get your eyes up. That's the exhortation for the last several weeks. Get your eyes up. Get them off the world. Life is too short. Eternity's too long. Get your eyes up on God. And live like it, right? Live like it in the world so everybody can see there's something odd about you, right? How does the, how does the Lord say it? There's something peculiar about you. You smell different, right? So, sometimes I tell Karen when she's been particularly good to me, um, I tell her I like her. Um, so do you, know what I, do you know what I'm saying to her when I tell her that I like her? I mean, of course I'm married to her. I'm supposed to love her, right? It's my job to love my wife. It's my job. I promised I would. I made a covenant that I would love my wife. And I do love my wife. But do you know what I'm saying to her when I tell her that I like her? Anybody? It's that if I weren't married to you, I would still want to spend the day with you. Right? I like being with you. You're fun to be with. You get me. I get you. You finish my sentences. I finish yours. Right? There's this, there's this oneness thing. And it's... I don't know if you can understand what I'm trying to say, but it's... it's it's almost deeper than love. I like her. I like her. Someone said, somewhere, at some time, in some place, true friendship is more rare than true love. I think it might be true. I think there's a, I think there's a germ of truth there. True friendship is more rare than true love. And isn't it a beautiful thing? <laughs> God loves us and God tells us that we are His friends. God doesn't merely love us. God likes us. Right? God likes us. It's a beautiful text. I'll let you remain seated unless you, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to read a text, so let's stand together. I'll just read the text and then I'll let you sit back down. It seems right to stand when we read the Word of God. I'm not actually going to preach the text, but it's the thought that I want us to consider tonight. John chapter 15, verse 13. John chapter 15, beginning verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, to the eleven. He's talking to the eleven. Judas is gone, right? He's talking to the eleven. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer 
do I call you slaves? For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made them known to you. Verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Verse 17, This I command you that you love one another. You can be seated. Jesus says, You are my Friends, you are my friends. God incarnate says, I like you. I like to be with you. I want to spend the day with you. I want to talk deeply about things that matter with you. I want to understand your heart. I want to understand your mind. I like being with you. Some of you have never thought of this. And I think, of course, I'm, I'm a slow study. But this never dawned on me Ten years ago, I was preaching through the Gospel of John. <laughs> and it dawns on me. <laughs> God doesn't just love me. He likes me. I don't know if... Am I communicating? Do you, under, do you understand the distinction? He likes me. I'm His friend. I have a God friend. Right? I have a God friend. These are, these are the words of Jesus. I'm not making this up. Jesus, He says, you're my friend. I've chosen you to be my friend. You know, somebody else said something about friendship. What was it? You don't get to choose your family, but you get to choose your friends. <laughs> and that that's a great blessing. A great blessing from God. I looked the word up. To be a friend means a person whom you know, you like, and you trust. Yes, of course, God knows us. He thought me up. He conceived of me. He designed me. He built me. He knows my thoughts before it's in my mind. He knows the Word before it's on my tongue. He knows me better than I know myself. Yes, He knows me. He knows me. And of course, the flip side to that breathtaking truth is that we get to know God. We, the people of God, let there be no confusion. <laughs> Only born-again Christians are the people of God. <clears throat> Only disciples of Christ are the people of God. I know there's a lot of generic language used in the world. Don't ever be confused. Only the followers of Jesus are the people of the true living God. We get to know Him, and that will be our principal task forever. Getting to know Christ. That will be our principal pursuit but it's the next thing in the definition of the word friend that is an arresting thought to me. God likes me and He trusts me. It's what we talked about last week. He trusts me with the Gospel. He trusts me with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and capacities He's given me. He trusts me with the life that He's given me. And He's trusts me to do what? What do I tell you about every Sunday? He's trusts me to do what? Go to church if it's not too inconvenient, right? No, it's much larger than that, right? He's trusts me to be His disciple. He's trusts me to be His witness in the world. 
He's trusted me with the truth, right? He's trusted you with the truth, all of you who are here tonight and are Christians. He's trusted us with the truth. This is a, a tremendous thing. I know many of you who've been in church a long time, you tend to start taking the truth for granted. But how much would you pay for the truth if you didn't have the truth? How much would you pay for it? What's the answer to that question? Everything! If I didn't know the truth about Christ, what would I give to know it? I would give everything. I would give anything. I would give all things to know the truth of God. And the Lord has freely given it to us. God likes me. You know, this relationship that, we ha that the true believer has with the Lord, it's, it's a lot like marriage. There's a covenant involved. God loves me because He purposed to, right? And He's covenanted, He's made a covenant with me to love me in Jesus Christ. But in a way, it's deeper. It's not just some obligatory love from a God who thinks He ought to love me. He likes me! I think this is an expanding thought if you will grab onto it. He likes me. And as you know, friendship can be deeper, a deeper connection than many family relationships. True friendship is a safe and comfortable thing. As one person said, it's like two souls in one body, right? You understand what I'm saying? Do you have friends like this? <laughs> C.S. Lewis says, it's that, you know, the birth of a friend is, is, is that moment when you go, what? You too? That's how you feel? That's how you think about it? That's how you hear it? That's what you love? Yeah, friendship is a beautiful and amazing thing. Jesus says, I have called you friends. To me, it's a fascinating and wonderful thought. It's not a word God throws around very much, right? There are only two people in all the Old Testament who are called the friends of God. Who are they? You know who they are. Who are they? Abraham and Moses. It's the only two guys God ever called friends in the Old Testament. So this is not a word he throws around very often, but he's throwing it around in connection with the Gospel. He's throwing it around in connection with the church. You're my friends. You're not only my bride, you're my friends. I like spending time with you. Let me ask you. <laughs> Are you making time to spend with him? Do you make time to spend with Him? Or are you, as many do in the modern church, take Him for granted more or less? Jesus says, I've chosen you to be my friend and I like to spend time with you. Are you making time to spend with Him? It's a big question, beloved. It's a huge question for all of us. So Abraham and Moses, pretty elite company, but if you're a Christian tonight, you're in that group. You, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are the friend of God. Abraham, Moses, Peter, James, John, Paul, Chinelo, Kenneth, Andrea, Linda, Eduardo, 
Amy, whatever, Molly, Shaheen, blessing. You're all friends of God. Right? In Christ. We've been talking about these privileges we have. Do you not understand what a privilege this is? How carried away with yourself would you be if Queen Elizabeth called and said she just wanted to be your personal friend? I mean, she wants to, I just want to be your personal friend. I want, I want to have you over. I want to dine with you. I want to talk deeply about things with you. Now, I know that would hit your Facebook, right? I know it would. I'd be reading all about it. And I'd be seeing photographs of, of, the, of the event, right? God says, forget Queen Elizabeth. God says, I want this kind of relationship with you. Beloved, I want you to get your eyes up. I want you to get your eyes up. Some of you are looking, like, some of you are looking at the world. Some of you are distracted with the world. Some of you give more time to your worldly pursuits than you give to God. I want you to look up. I want you to count your blessings. This is our 14th message in this sermon series. We get to some of the privileges. Just very quick snapshot review. We get to pray. We get to worship. We get to obey. We get to believe. We get to suffer. We get to be made holy. We get to give. We get to love and serve the church. We get God's truth. His name is Jesus. We get to be God's witnesses in the world. We get to live abundantly whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley. We can live abundantly because God is with us in the trial. We get to live forever in the new heaven and the new earth, pleasures forever, as David writes in Psalm 1611. And last week we talked about the fact that while we're on this planet, we get to lay up treasures in heaven. We're sending, you know, we're sending our assets forward, right? We're investing in the kingdom of God while we are here on this planet. We invest our God-given talent, skills, abilities, capacities, and endowments in uh, the kingdom of God, where we refuse to waste our life on worldly trifles. We will not be distracted. I'm looking at God. I'm in love with God. I will obey God. I will lay up treasures in heaven. This is my worldview. I love Him. I will obey Him. I believe everything He says. I cherish His promises of reward forever and ever and ever. It changes how I think. It changes how I process events. It changes how ultimately how I live. Because I'm taking the long view. I'm looking at God. I'm laying I'm taking my stewardship seriously as we talked about last week. I take it seriously. This is not just religious church talk. This is what God says. God says this. Be my steward. Do business. Change the world. At least your orbit. Change your orbit by speaking my truth into it. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. I'm just going to repeat this to you because to me it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. So, I, you know, it's, one of, it's my prerogative as a preacher, right? <laughs> I get to repeat whatever I want. But hopefully it's helpful to you. Last week we talked about that 18th century American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. This was his drive with respect to stewardship, right? 
Listen to what he says. I resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way I can think of. And I challenged you. Is that how you see your stewardship? Are you putting that much energy into your stewardship before God? Are you giving your life to Him and using all of your abilities to bring honor and glory to His name? Some of you are hearing it because I've heard back from you. Some of you are hearing it. Some of you, I hope, will drive a stake in the ground and you will be different from now on. Worldview. Lay up treasures in heaven for my awesome God. Number one. He's my friend. Worldview number two. <laughs> Make time to be with my friend every day. Spend time with my friend. Beloved, this is Christianity. It's a relationship, right? That's, you know, everything else is just religion. You know, all the... Uh, things that surround the church. But at the core is relationship. I know I say that to you a lot. So we refuse to demean God by putting the world over Him. By loving or pursuing something in the world more than I love and pursue Him. We refuse to demean God. We are God's people and we will not demean Him that way. If we're thinking rightly about heaven, and this is where the Lord has led me. You know, as, as I finished up the sermon last week and I started hearing from some of you guys, I, I couldn't get heaven out of my head and I thought, well, we'll touch on it again. And that's what I want to do in the context of being God's friend. So if we're thinking rightly about heaven, as I said a while ago, it will change the way we live. It, it will change the way we look at some of the smallest aspects of our life. Am I being a good steward of what God has given me in this, in this decision? I want, I hope, I pray that some of the things we've talked about the last couple of weeks and this week will get down into your soul. This is just not a nice sermon or a nice talk. As some people say, Jim, that was a good talk. Um, that's unusual kind of language for me. But it's not just a sermon. It's not just a talk. It's not just a message. I want this stuff to get down into your soul and I want it to matter when you get up in the morning. Right? I want your worldview to be dominated by your heaven view. John 17.3, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they may know you. I've, I share this verse with you all the time. You need to know where John 17.3 is. You need to know how Jesus defines eternal life. It is relationship. That's one way, one way you can know that you're His because the relationship is happening now, right? The conversation is ongoing, right? <laughs> the conversation has started and it will continue for a billion eternities. So as we come to Jesus, as we are born again, the forever adventure begins. The adventure of knowing Him. The adventure of 
the sacred friendship that will never end. You will never get to the end of knowing something new about Him. You will never get to the end of what you love about Him. You will never get to the end of what makes Him your very best friend. This is part of the new heaven and the new earth. Tonight we're going to visit a few verses that, uh, that kind of jump up in my preaching a couple times a year. Uh, there's a purpose in that. They're, they're fundamental. And I think a couple of verses specifically, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to move pretty quickly. But uh, I want to I look at Moses in Exodus 33. And I'm going to look at the four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4. But we're just going to blow through. And I just want to make some points. And always, if you have questions, email me. I'll be happy to try to address them. Or if I say something you're not sure where it comes from in Scripture, I'll be happy to try to, to answer those questions. I want to touch on some of the temporal and eternal benefits of being God's friend. Okay? And I thought the best way to do this is to simply look at the two guys that God calls friends in the Old Testament. So we'll look at Abraham and look at Moses very, very briefly. As you know, the life of Abraham is recorded in Genesis chapter, chapters 12 through 25. And let me just start by asking, who's Abraham? Who's Abraham? Why are we talking about Abraham? It's been 4,000 years. Why are we talking about Abraham? Who's Abraham? He's some guy from Ur. Who cares? Right? Who cares? He's just some nobody. Oh, he's just like you and me. He's some nobody who said yes to God, right? That's who Abraham is. That's why we're talking about him. He said yes to God. He was a nobody. But he received the call of God. He believed God. He obeyed God. And that's why we're talking about him, right? <laughs> do, you, do you get the implication for your own life? None of us are going to make it into the Scripture. That's a closed proposition. But do you get the implication? Makes me think of when Jesus, when, when Mary, you know, broke the vial and poured it on his head. And remember what he said? Nobody will ever forget this. As long as the gospels preach, nobody will ever forget it. She will always be remembered for how she loved me and worshiped. Beloved, your love and your worship and your obedience to Jesus, it's never forgotten. And as we talked about last week, He rewards us. Inexplicably, He rewards us. So this was the, one of the promises God made to Abraham. He said, you, I will make your name great. He says, and I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. To believe and go with God is to, to live a huge life on the planet and to live a larger one there. Right? That's what it means. To live a huge life. A life of glad, reckless, joy, obedience. Live a huge life here and even a larger one there. You can pursue your own agenda if you want to. God gives you that choice. You pursue your own agenda. If you have no 
real interest in God or the things of God or your stewardship or laying up treasures in heaven. God allows you to just simply go out into the world and pursue your own interests. But what I want to say to you, beloved, is God doesn't lose, you lose. You lose. God doesn't lose, you lose. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need anybody to get His work done. He'll get His work done. He'll get His work done. So let me ask you this. What would God... What is it that God would give us to prove Himself most loving? What is it? I know health, wealth, prosperity. Right? If He really loved us, we would get health, wealth, and prosperity in copious amounts. Any of you buying that? You know I hate that gospel. I hate that false gospel. What is it that God would give us to show us that He loves us Himself? And what did God say to Abraham? What did He say to Abraham? I'm your reward. I am your reward. Forget about health, wealth, and prosperity. I might give it to you. I might not. That's my sovereign prerogative. You know, I, I know what's best in my people's lives. I give you myself. Is in essence what God told Abraham. The other thing He told him was, I'll be your shield. He says, I'll be your shield in this world. So we're free to be radical disciples in the world. Because God is our shield. And if we perish, we perish. It's our time to go. But we can be radical until it's our time to go. As God makes clear in the Psalms, our days are in His hands. So God is our shield and He begins to be our reward here, but He really is our reward there. Right? We have some small sense of God being our reward here, but in heaven we will understand it much more fully. While we're here, we have, that, we, we have the opportunity to live a meaningful and fulfilling and significant and consequential life. It's why we're talking about Abraham. It's why we're going to talk about Moses. They said yes to God. They were nobodies who said yes. That's what you are and that's what I am. If you're a Christian tonight, you just nobody in particular, but you said yes. <laughs> Your name will not be forgotten for all eternity. So two weeks ago, I think, and even last week I may have mentioned it, that uh, there are countless derivative joys in heaven, Right? And I got to thinking, maybe some of you don't know what I mean by that. I didn't really clarify. What, are, what, what, what would derivative jo joys be? What would derivative joys be? Joys that are derived from God. God is our ultimate treasure and pleasure in heaven. And there are infinite, an infinite number of, in my view, most probably an infinite number of de derivative or secondary pleasures, but not out of necessity... <laughs> That's what I wanted to say to you again. Not out of necessity. God's your reward, beloved. God is your reward. God is your reward. Quickly, let's talk about Moses. His life is recorded beginning chapter 1 of Exodus all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. Like Abraham, Moses lived a huge and meaningful and consequential life. He said yes to God. 
But like Abraham, Moses knew that that extraordinary life was a poor prelude to what awaited him in heaven. Don't you know that, beloved? Any pleasure on this earth is, a, is really a poor foreshadowing or prelude of what God has laid up for you in heaven. Are you looking at heaven? Are you looking up? I want you to look up every day for the rest of your life I want you to lift your eyes up to God and lay up treasures in heaven. You say, Jim, you seem very excited. I am very excited. I'm excited for you and what you'll do for God and what God will do through you. And how when you come to that last day, you'll see that giant smile on his face and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what you really want? Or do you, would you prefer a pile of money? or a large portfolio, or success, or comfort and ease? What, or do you want to hear Jesus say that? Worldview, I want to hear Jesus say that. This is big stuff. It's beautiful stuff. I hope that you are tracking with me. So Moses had seen more of God than anyone, anyone other than arguably Adam and Eve, but he knew one more thing. He hadn't seen anything yet. And that's the reason I wanted to just talk briefly about Exodus 33. God had, God had showed Moses so much. Moses had seen the burning bush. He, he watched God crush Egypt. He went through the Red Sea. He ate the manna. He witnessed the pillar of fire. He received the Ten Commandments from the, the hand of God. And then Moses prays, Oh Lord, show me your glory. Moses knows he hasn't seen anything yet. And I want you to know that. I want you to always know that. You haven't seen anything yet. What you think you know about God is nothing compared to what you don't know about God. And He'll thrill your soul for a billion eternities, revealing and disclosing Himself to you, beloved. We've got to get, listen, as the people of God, we've got to get this vision of God. I love this about Moses. Lord, show me your glory. And you know what God did? He said, well, you can't see my face and live. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll stick you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by. And then I'll take my hand away and you'll see the backside of my glory. And do you remember what Moses wrote about it? Anybody remember? What did Moses write about the glory of God? Nothing. This has always intrigued me. He didn't write anything about the glory of God. He didn't write anything about what he saw. And of course, doesn't that lead to the conclusion that language can't get there, right? <laughs> language can't get there. And trying to talk about the glory of God. Psalm 50, verse 2, God is the perfection of beauty that shines forth. Psalm 148, 13, God's radiance is above the heaven and the earth. Isaiah 6.3, God's bright glory fills the whole earth. Psalm 24.10, Who is the King of glory? The Lord is the King of glory. And what's being said there is He's the King of beauty, the King of magnificence, the King of splendor, the King of wonder, the King of grandeur, the King of brilliance. And this is where the four living creatures come in in Revelation chapter 4. What do you know about those guys? Anybody know anything about the guys, the living creatures? They're called the four living creatures, which I think is kind of weird, but they're called the four living creatures. Who knows about anything about the four living creatures? Okay. 
You should know that. You should know this. This is huge. They, they're, they're in the presence of God, and all they do all day long is what? Praise God. Thank you, Kenneth. That's all they do all day long. For who knows how long, probably since the day they were created. They just look at God and praise God. And what's the other weird thing about them? The text says they have eyes all over and around and within. Now, I don't know what that means exactly. But they have this incredible insight into the, the infinite beauty of God. And I remember my seminary professor said, hey, if you tapped one of them on the shoulder, you think they would turn around. I know I've shared this with you before. It's one of my favorite illustrations. Would they turn around and look at you? No way! They've only been looking at God for a billion eternities. Why would they turn and look at you? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There's this infinite adventure in just simply knowing Him and looking into His beauty. It's an eternal adventure. Beloved, I think we have way too small a picture of God. You know, one of my, my, another one of my seminary professors, <laughs> yeah, I got my money's worth, I guess. He said, you know, I, the, the, the tradition I grew up in, he said, you know, he said, most church people, they just think God's a big guy. He's just a big guy. He's a guy, but he's big. <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. He's God. And he'll thrill your soul forever. In heaven, I love the four living creatures. Just some other quick verses that, that talk about the beauty of God that you and I will ingest and marvel at. Um, yeah, just some quick verses. Ezekiel talks about what he saw. And listen, if you want these, these verses, I'll give them to you. Just email me. I'm not going to take the time to give them to you tonight. But Ezekiel talked about an awesome gleam of crystal and sapphire coming from the throne. He talked about the radiance of God. He talked about the rainbow that God was clothed in. Daniel talks about the Ancient of Days. That his garment was like white snow. His hair was like pure wool. His, his, his throne was ablaze with flames. His body was like a precious stone, a blue-green emerald. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. You may remember at the, at the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured and it said His face, it shone like the sun and His garments were as white as light. Revelation 1, 13 and 16, John saw uh, the, the, the glorified Christ and He had a, a golden girdle and His hair was like white wool and His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze glowing in a furnace. And His face was like the sun shining in its strength. You know, when you read these accounts of men who were granted visions of God, you realize, you see the word, you keep seeing the word like. It's, he's like. It's like because they can't say it. They can't get there. <laughs> and I think after a billion eternities of looking at God, you still won't have the right word you would not be able to describe His, His overwhelming, jaw-dropping, breathtaking glory. A.W. Tozer, American, 20th century American preacher, says, you cannot find the language that will tell what God is. You will spend forever with your God friend Oh, by the way, who is the most beautiful, desirable, compelling, satisfying, enjoyable, pleasure, pleasurable friend 
in the cosmos. I was thinking about it. I figure the first millennial or two will just be looking at him. That's Arkansan, looking at him. No G. Looking at him, right? Just drinking it in, man. Just drinking in the beauty. Being in awe. The genius, the greatness, the wonder. Just looking at God. Beloved, what I want to say to you in, 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 in the context of our series, we get God. We get to be the friends of God. We get to spend the day with God. I hope none of you are taking that for granted or thinking lightly about it. There will be infinite derivative pleasures in heaven, but not out of necessity. Jesus will fill up our souls with all the beauty, intimacy, and adventure that we desire. So in closing, I want to take us... I want to drive this point home about heaven, okay? I want to drive this point home, and I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest theologian since the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you some quotes from him. I want you to think deeply about them, okay? Regarding the born-again believer, Edwards writes, I want you to hear this. I don't want you to just let this roll off you know, your back. I want you to hear it. I want you to think about it. As the saints are forever His, belonging to Christ, as the saints are forever Christ's, and He is forever ours, for He that gave Himself for them will give Himself to them. That's what I want you to hear. He's your reward. He who gave Himself for you will give Himself to you. I hope that excites something in you. Our God friend is our everlasting satisfaction. Edwards continues, Since God is infinite and we are finite, it will take an eternity to know and, and enjoy all that God is. There will never be a time when there is no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Did you hear him? There will never be a time when there's not something absolutely astonishing and thrilling that you'll be learning about Jesus Christ. After a billion eternities, there'll still be an infinite amount of things you haven't known yet. But your God friend is going to disclose them to you, right? This is beautiful stuff. Edwards goes on. He talks about this relationship he says the oneness with God. He talks about this union and oneness with God. He said this perfect union with God will ascend constantly toward an infinite height, moving ever upwards for all eternity. He even uses the word velocity. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I may be over some of your heads, but it, it, all I'm trying to say is God is our reward. God is our adventure. God will fill our souls forever. Last week we noted that uh, our earthly stewardship directly impacts the parameters, dimensions, positions, responsibilities, authority that we will have in heaven. And there's, a, there's one more word I want to communicate uh, to you about that and we're about done. It's the word capacity. The good steward has a greater capacity. Listen to, listen to Edwards again. The saints are like so many vessels of different sizes cast in 
to the sea of happiness where every vessel is full. So you understand, every vessel's full, right? If I have a, my, let's say, one man's bucket is this big and another man's bucket is this big. Well, if they're cast into the sea, they're, they're both full, right? Both buckets are full, but this bucket has what? It has greater capacity to drink in God. This is the illustration. This is eternal life for a man to forever be filled up with God. Randy Alcorn helps us understand this American preacher. He writes this, a half liter container and a liter container can both be full, but the larger container has a greater capacity. Likewise, in heaven, all of us will be full of joy, but some may have a larger capacity for joy having been stretched through our stewardship on the planet. Do you get it? <laughs> Don't you want to enjoy God to the greatest potential and possible capacity that you can? That's why it matters what you do when you get up on Monday. It's not just reward in some static way. You will have a greater capacity. I like how Alcorn says it. Your capacity here is stretched. You know, you're either building your soul up here or you're tearing it down. You're building up your soul as you follow Jesus or your soul is, as C.S. Lewis says, what can a man do? but live if he follows Christ. And what can a man do but die if he refuses? So your soul is withering or your soul is being built up. This is a spiritual truth, beloved. It's a spiritual truth. Edwards, and this is my last quote. Edwards says, In heaven, the, the, the most faithful servants and stewards, they have a greater capacity to penetrate further into the divine perfections of God. Now, these are the kinds of things I used to read in seminary and I would get on my face for a, about an hour or longer, right? Listen, I'm trying to get you to think deeply about God and what that relationship will be like with God. And it, it matters what you do in the morning when you get up. It matters. It matters every single day. You can build your soul's capacity. Or, beloved, here's the truth your soul will wither. The Bible tells us no one has seen or can see God at any time, but what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? What does He say to His people? Matthew 5.8 What does He say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they what? They'll see God! They'll see their God friend! Forever and forever and forever. Our God friend is our eternal inheritance. Knowing, loving, seeing, and exploring Jesus is our forever reward. Knowing, loving, and seeing and exploring Jesus is the best part of the new heavens and the new earth. Listen, beloved, don't ever forget, God says, I have chosen you to be my friend. And if, that, if you really believe that, it should change how you live when you get up in the morning. <laughs> It'll change how you love your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you do your job, you know how you handle the trial, how you serve the body of Christ, it, it changes everything. It changes everything. Listen, I don't know if I did a credible job. I want you to get jazzed about heaven. If you're not jazzed about heaven, there's something missing in your biblical theology. God means for you to be jazzed about it. He means for you to be thinking about it. He means for you to meditate on it. He means for you to fantasize about it. 
You know, go read Alcorn's book. There are two books out there. Uh, Randy Alcorn, Called Heaven, and John Blanchard wrote one. Great uh, English theologian and evangelist, John Blanchard. I don't know the name of it. But immerse yourself. Immerse yourself. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive me for the poor job I've done. You're too awesome. And we can't get there. But oh God, we understand what You mean when You tell us that You are our reward. I pray that no one in this room would ever take that lightly. Lord, I pray that we would take this friendship seriously. Just as we must invest in our earthly friends to maintain that relationship, I pray, Lord God, that we would be serious about maintaining our relationship and our deep and abiding friendship with You. Lord God, if we've been negligent in this way, I pray that You will forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that You would plant within us a deep and deep longing and, and desire to know You more deeply. Lord, I pray if, that if we have not considered the, 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 the vast rewards of heaven, principally You, and not be changed by it, Lord, I pray You forgive us. I pray You forgive us of this sin. Help us to develop a discipline to be thinking deeply about You and deeply about what awaits us that it might change the way we live in the morning. Lord God, we love You. We praise You. What an awesome God. Our God friend, forever and forever and forever. Our God friend, we love You, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.